The Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi, welcome to episode 107 of the podcast. Now, no guest this week, no guest interview. Um, I will possibly put one in in a couple of weeks' time. But over the next few weeks, what I want to do is break down the topic of what is your relationship with food like? Now, if you remember last week, I asked you that question and just explored it. And I identified three key areas that I think are sort of the large principal areas of why we eat or what drives us to eat. There's the physical, the emotional, emotional and the social. Now, there may be other sort of smaller areas, etc. Or if there's anything I feel I've missed, please do give me a shout, Dave, at restlessmidlifer.com. The reason I say that is because I'm laying out my thinking as I'm working with clients and have been over the years. Um, it starts to take form and shape. So I want to tease it out to give you some pardon the pun, food for thought around it. Now, I'm going to talk about the social and the emotional in coming weeks. These, although I'm going to talk about them in sort of separate episodes, they are very much overlapping. And there is overlap in terms of perhaps what we'll talk about in each episode. So that needs to be borne in mind. But what I do want to do is kind of explore them in their own discrete areas for now to give you an opportunity to reflect on them, to reflect on how and where there might be opportunities to use that knowledge to help you regain a, a bit of control over your, your intake, your eating, um, or lose that weight, or just create a bit more of a deficit that's manageable between the energy in and the energy out. So today what I want to do is talk about physical, the physical side of food. And I'm not going to get really technical here or in-depth because I've had some great interviews in the past with the likes of Mark Telford, Jen Wilson and Simon Ward who are, you know, they, they work, they're, they're um, physical trainers, they've got a great deal of experience working on both on physical exercise and activity side and also the nutrition side. And I would always go to them to sort of ask their particular thoughts or advice on things. Um, so I'll put the links to those particular episodes in the show notes. What I want to do is sort of look at this from a, a broader perspective and look at it and see what we can tease out in terms of wins or opportunities to change and shift our behaviour and actions around food. So when I'm talking about the physical, I am talking about the, the, the fact that we need to intake food and drink. And I'm parking alcohol in this particular episode because alcohol generally whilst it has benefits in terms of and I'm using air quotes here for, for some of us, you know, social lubricant can be feeling relaxing. It's generally not something that's very positive for us in any sense, even in moderation. Um, there are studies and there were studies that were publicised years ago that showed some minor moderate benefits for minor moderation. I think generally the consensus is now that really any sort of alcohol intake is not great for us. Now, obviously, it's the quantity and, the, and how long, etc. And if that's an issue, then that's something worth looking at as well. But I'm going to park that because in terms of the physical, I want to talk about why we are driven or why we have the drives to eat and consume food um, from that physical perspective. Social and emotional we'll deal with in a couple of weeks' time, but physical. If we talk about it, at the essence, it's about really providing us with the energy for movement, activity, and to get on with our life, and the repairs, you know, the, the, the cellular repairs, the muscular repairs, the, the, the repairs that are needed from, whether it's intense exercise or just getting up and getting on with our day. The body breaks down and it needs to repair itself. So we do need the physical, um, we, need, we have physical needs that we need to derive or, or gain from our food. Now, in terms of it, I'm going to get no more technical than this, but just talk about, you know, in terms of what we take in, roughly, 60 to 70 percent of what we take in in terms of food or, or what our body will use uh, uh, that we take in 60 70 percent 60 to 70 percent is required and used for 
generally keeping the lights on. That's the way I like to think about it. You know, the, it's called the basal metabolic rate. But for me, it's about keeping the lights on. It's your heart rate, it's your brain function. It's, it's um, generally cell repair, just generally keeping the, 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 this thing, this vehicle, this body, this amazing thing operational. And that 60 to 70% is, is obviously a large proportion out of what we can eat. And really, when we're talking about trying to shift our weight down, we've got less to play with in terms of percentages because we don't want to really affect that. We want to make sure we get the basics in there. And we don't want to make and we want to make sure that we do because otherwise we start to um, experience health issues and challenges. We might have real energy problems um, and start, you know, uh, start to be prone to uh, illness, uh, injury, that kind of thing. So we need to satisfy the basic needs that the body has. But over and above that, that remaining percent, it's a very rough uh, percentage that I'm, I'm sort of playing with here. It's not a case of, oh, well, we can do uh, without the rest of that, obviously, because really that's about helping to helping us to sort of live the life that we want to live. Now, it depends how active you are, uh, how stressful, how full-on life is with the demands and responsibilities of work and, and, and life in general. But, you know, we do need to take, take on food to support that side, the repairs and the energy for that. Um, and that's the challenge, I guess, for us, because where is that line between what is um, enough uh, and what is, you know, too much or too little? And, you know, there is guidance around there, you know, the averages, this, that, and the other. But for me, it comes down to know it, starting to know yourself. So when I'm talking about with clients, um, you know, how do we create that deficit? I'm very much on the side of it's energy in, energy out balance. That's, we need to create a deficit, but we need to test what is sustainable for you over time. Too extreme, we risk a undermining the basal metabolic rate, you know, the general functions, but also undermining our general sense of energy that we have to meet the demands of our life and day-to-day and, and -day work uh, responsibilities and commitments. So we need to have a, a sort of a, a floating um, kind of def deficit that we can test and work with over time. And this is something that I do encourage you to think about and not to approach quite radically. Now, obviously that's just the amount of energy we might get from food, but there's obviously the variety of food, you know, the proteins, carbohydrates, the fats, the healthier fats, the vitamins, the minerals. Now, again, I'm not gonna go into detail about that. And again, what I tend to do when I'm working with clients is, is sort of work with where they're at and what they um, are currently having, what they can feel they can sort of reduce and what have you, and encourage some healthy approach to that. Because your body needs all of those things. It needs the carbohydrates for the energy. It needs the fats, the healthy fats for helping repair and cell health. And it needs the proteins for rebuilding muscle um, and, and joints and ligaments, that kind of stuff. So I'll be very general. You can tell I'm not a nutritionist, but generally we need that broad spread. We also need vegetables um, and the fibrous stuff, the fruit and vegetables that provide us the fiber, the vitamins and minerals, as well as that to give us that spread of really the nutritional value that helps with energy um, and repair and just general maintenance of our body. So the thing is, it's about recognising that we need to provide that. And really, I guess the takeaway message that I'm trying to get across here is we need to respect that mechanism. We need to respect the fact that your body has those needs. And when we talk about things like hunger signals and, and the broader term or more accurate term, like a satiation, um, again, a very complex mechanism, it is around the body 
and the mind trying to drive us to take in the nutrients at a particular given time or of a particular type to fulfill the body's needs. Now, satiation, again, it can be confused by things like boredom, social pressures or social connection, you know, whether you're out with friends, um, you know, whether you're emotionally feeling up or down. So again, we need to just park that for now. But suffice to say, that satiation mechanism is incredibly powerful. If you've ever been, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on something really restricted, restrictive in terms of a diet, and you are suddenly feeling really ravenously hungry, and perhaps your mood has dropped, your energy levels have dropped, and in a second, you can be good for a week or a, a, you know, a couple of weeks, but in five minutes or 10 minutes, you can undo it all just through ravenously responding to that, you know, that those drives and those signals. And that is something that, again, is something that we need to factor in because these drives are so strong and powerful that it really is better that we respect those and honour those drives and understand they're there rather than deny or totally try to resist them. Now, if you're one of the few, the very few, that can do that, and there are some people who can respond and do that for a particular time, um, some maybe, a, a, you know, you find them in certain professions like bodybuilding, that kind of thing, they, for whatever reason, they can manage it, and, you know, they may then be able to switch it on and off, etc. But for most of us, I think it's something that if we did, and no doubt you've done this from experience, if we've done that, um, and we've done that extreme, it's like the elastic band snaps back, and we're back and we can kind of find ourselves really not only compensating for the, the restriction, but overcompensating and then really finding ourselves in a place where it's really hard to get back on any kind of track. I like to think of it as, as diet burnout. Um, yes, there's a social and emotional side to that, but the physical side is that perhaps we just, we can get ourselves just so sick and tired of going on the restrictions, going on these diets and the roller coaster of it that we just feel like I don't have the motivation or the energy left to, in me to even stick to it for a day or an hour and I've certainly experienced that myself so I guess really the key thing is we need to factor in that and really respect the the essentials the need that your body and your mind have for really decent nutrition so we're, what we're talking about is not being rest overly restricted we're talking about trying to find that gap that is something we can sustain my yoga teacher used to say something like if you just dance along the edge of discomfort when you're stretching and it's a phrase that i think is really useful to think about in this because what we're trying to do is find that place where we can just dance along the edge of that slight discomfort or slightly knowing i'm restricting but not to the point of feeling that i'll snap back because if we can do that and we can find ways to do that and other opportunities perhaps to do it so we can almost be not nowhere on the diet or restricting ourselves, that can be really useful. If we're looking at this from the perspective of how can this help us, how can the knowledge help us that we have physical needs, the repair, the um, energy levels, you know, there's a certain amount that we need to respect and provide. How can we use this knowledge? And as I said, it's about getting that sustainable, if we're particularly trying to lose weight rather than just manage or maintain. We're trying to find a sustainable gap, something we can manage and, and de handle for any length of time. And with that then, it brings in the question, as I said, I've talked about social, I'm gonna talk about social and emotional, um, relationships with food in due course but if we can kind of strip it back to the questions around the physical for now what we're looking at is the question of am I genuinely eating this or looking to eat this because it is fulfilling that basic energy need the energy needs of my day or am I doing it for another reason social and emotional we'll talk about in due course but it might be something as simple as it's routine it's what I do 
or I'm bored, or as my, one of my clients calls um, calls it, mouth boredom. You know, I just need at some point, you know, I'm bored. I just need something to, to eat, and you know that kind of thing. So there's mouth boredom. Uh, I love that phrase because I think I could definitely relate to it. But are there th- other factors that are driving why we eat in terms of a physical sense? So things like that, and, and, and I guess the question then is, how can that help if we can start to ask that question? So the first thing is, the question of, am I hungry, is, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there potentially is, it can be easily confused between genuine hunger, those hunger pangs, etc. perhaps thirst as well, you know, I'm a thirsty, um, in which case is it worth perhaps testing that out and questioning, and again, I have a client who has um, something that, that, that we've developed and they call the crapometer of doom, which is, you know, when they feel that they're up at a place where they might snack or, or go on a little bit of a binge, they stop and ask, right, where am I on the crapometer from zero to five, zero and one to three being, yeah, pretty good, three, meh, four and five heading towards the crap, the, the shitstorm as, as she calls it. Um, and that's where we start to park our more rational present self and start to respond automatically to cues, whether we're at the fridge before we know it, we pull something out of the fridge and we're eating it before we know it. So, but part of the questions that you ask, she asks herself is, right, okay, if she's scoring at a four, a three and a half, a four or above, the question comes in, right, okay, am I hungry? And what am I doing? So genuinely, that am I thirsty? And what have I had to drink? It's because sometimes it is that. So that hydration level is something important. So that could be one factor. Am I thirsty rather than hungry? And I'm sure you'll have come across those in, in many diets or little diet hack tips. So it's not nothing radical, etc. There. The other thing is looking at, um, I guess, two areas. Well, the boredom's an interesting one first. So if we talk about boredom, you know, or mouth boredom. Um, do you find yourself snacking or going for a snack or having a meal simply because, you know, you've reached a point with work or a break or a natural break or a point with work where your head's, you know, battered or you can't think straight and the natural inclination is to step away and go and check out the cupboards for something, crisps, whatever. And if that's the case, yes, there might be some emotional aspects to it, but it might be just satisfying a need to do something different to change up and mix up things. So there's a, I'm going to differentiate between genuine boredom, uh, sorry, boredom and mouth boredom because there, there's two interesting things there. One is boredom could be, what else could satisfy that? And sometimes a change is as good as a rest is the old cliche, but can we change something up? Do something different and it may be work related or maybe step away, it might be something short and sweet like a 10 minute walk or uh, a little bit of stretching um, a drink of something, um, or, or, to, or a conversation with somebody. Something different that's physical and not necessarily related to what we take in. Because once we start to realise, in terms of this physical, there are more reasons than we eat. Um, no shit, Sherlock, I guess. There are more reasons that we eat that we eat than the emotional, social, and the physical. There's things like the boredom side. Then perhaps we can have tools in the kit, or, or, or if this, then that rules. I like to think about them. If this happens, then that is what I'll do. Or if that is how I feel, I'm bored, then this is what I'm going to do. So perhaps you could think about what you could have in your in your toolkit or your arsenal in terms of activities to do instead. And one of the things we need to be have a caveat on here is we're not saying not and restricting because if you're one of the challenges with snacking in particular is if we get really hard on ourselves and this may work for some but for some for others it may be that that's this thing that creates a tension and and can lead to ultimately a binge later or very shortly after 
what we need to talk, think about is how we talk to ourselves in that and how can we talk to ourselves in a way that's not restrictive. So I tell you what, I can have that, but maybe let's give it 10 minutes. I'm going to go and do something else. And as I've, uh, I remember writing one of my chronicles a um, good few months ago, I had a packet of, um, I think it was frazzles, got them out of the cupboard automatically and then went off and put some, got some washing out of the washing machine. Completely forgot about the frazzles. So sometimes that distraction and the delay can be useful to that. But if we're talking about mouth boredom, so think about that in terms of alternate activities that don't involve eating, just as a distraction and a delay. The other one is the mouth boredom side. Sometimes we just need or feel like, I just want to have something. And that's where the perhaps the traditional default that we might have is something that is high calorie, calorie dense, very sugary, sweet, tasty, and something we can over consume. Now, what would be... If we can recognize we need something in terms of uh, that mouth boredom, what are the, the basics that you need? And again, this is, I guess, an individual thing. But for me, when I'm mouth bored, it's just a need to chew on something, to chew on something that's reasonably tasty. Sometimes it's savory, sometimes it's sweet. But it doesn't have to be, um, you know, Rosie's Easter egg that's sitting there crying out at me since Easter. Uh, and I know I'm going to get wrong, but I'm going to end up having an Easter egg if I eat it. It doesn't have to be that. It could just be something lower calorie, dent, lower um, sort of ability to overconsume. So something that's a bit more filling and fibrous. So sometimes for me, that's a sliced toast of peanut butter on. Or it might be, um, and these are not necessarily suggestions, but just things that can work for you. Something that's like, you know, pick on some vegetables. I'll tell you what I do love to do is open a, open a jar of pickled gherkins and just have a few of those. Now, if you think about those things, that can sometimes satisfy the mouth boredom bit. And again, delay the sort of the the instinctive or the the automatic act of grabbing for some chocolate or some crisps or something like else so we're talking about boredom as an option then think about how, what you can do there's an alternative and effectively i guess in terms of the mouth boredom something that's a minimum effective dose something that will do the job satisfy your mouth boredom and get you moving on with minimum damage so it might be pickled this, it might be something really, uh, you know, high in fibres, a piece of fruit in its wrapping, you know, in its clothes, an apple, orange, that kind of thing. Not the juice or whatever, but something that's f more filling and fibrous that can make you feel as if you had something to eat. Because sometimes we just need to do that. So there's that. So we've talked about, I guess, thirsty versus hunger. We've talked about that idea of mouth boredom or boredom. But there's also the, the routine side of things. Is there... If you think about your typical day, typical weekday and a typical weekend day, what meals and snacks do you have that are part of the routine and the ritual? Because here I think is a wealth of opportunity for us to start to look at what can I change and what can I shift my perspective on? And what I mean by that is, if, for example, your routine is on a morning to have a breakfast, a lunch, you know, morning routine, then lunch, so breakfast, lunch, then a tea, a couple of snacks in between, then what we can look at is, Right, what is that about? Where does that come from? And what does it satisfy in terms of a need? Now, there's a lot said about breakfast is the most important part of the day, and I'm aware of the research, particularly the more recent research that shows that people who tend to have a good breakfast tend to be better at controlling their and managing their weight later in the day. So we do need to factor that in. But what I want to do is talk about you and get you to think about you and what works for you. Because for many of us, we fall into the habit of having routine, almost ritualistic habits around breakfast, dinner, tea, lunch, tea whatever snacks so it might be that you have cereal every day it might be that you have yogurt and fruit and whatever every day and i'm not criticizing those per se but what need is it satisfying and if it's something like social and emotional 
then perhaps, again, I'll talk about that in due course, then that might be something that we can look at tweaking, etc. For me, and as an example, breakfast is something that really doesn't satisfy any of those, those doesn't tick any of those boxes. I live in a house where people, we're up, we're getting ready for work, school, all that kind of thing. Breakfast is kind of a, just something you have on the go, if you were to have it at all. Or um, do I have it later, etc. So the point of that is that I, it's not like I'm sitting around the table at breakfast with my family and it's satisfying and serving a really important purpose. Because if it was, then that may be real reason to preserve that because let's be right, the social value is really important. But it's kind of something that I might just wolf down or grab on the go. So what value is that really placing, putting on me or, or giving me in terms of the physical side, the energy and the repair? And that, I guess, comes into the quality of the stuff I'm eating, the calorie density, and how much, etc. And for me, one of the things I found was that really, all I wanted in the morning was a cup of tea with a bit of milk in, and that would do me until a bit later on. So I would delay my breakfast till later, break fast, breaking the fast. Now again, there are a number of levers that I've spoken about in previous podcasts, one of them being time restriction. There's no magical benefit really in terms of that, although there's some people who would argue around the health benefits of, of fasting. Um, for me, and in terms of research, the jury's still out, although some encouraging stuff there, but in terms of it, the, the benefit is if it helps you reduce or manage your energy intake, the food that you take in. For some, it doesn't, because when you might reduce your window to six, eight hours, uh, eight, six, four hours, or even two hours, but if you're going to overconsume, it's still possible to overconsume your calories for the day in that period. So for me, it's about how does it work for you. So one of one of the the approaches I take is to take a later breakfast because in the morning I don't need it, and that later breakfast is something that tends to be a lighter cut in terms of energy uh, calorie content some protein to help me feel more full and obviously provide some nutrients there and something that is um, it's reasonably convenient and easy to make because of just I'm getting on with work, that kind of thing. So the point of it is, is looking at each of your routines and rituals around each of the meals, your opportunities or windows for snacking and thinking about why do you do them? What's led to that? What are the habits or the rituals or routines, the, the drives, if you've been brought up that way to have it? And what I'm not saying is think, oh, well, I can ditch breakfast if it's something so rigidly ingrained in your day that it leads to you really miss it. You really struggle to get through your day without it because that is the key. That is the key is how do you feel if you delay or change or tweak or uh, reduce this or eliminate that? It's how you respond to it. But the point is that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we can't have a look in the first place. So having a look at your, it might be your lunch that uh, you look at, right, what can I do? I always have, I mean, I remember when I was used to work uh, pre-police, it used to be, let's have the sandwich run, we'll get sandwich crisps and, um, you know, can of Coke or whatever. And again, can I change that up? What, what can I do to just reduce that? So I might keep the ritual because it was a social element. We all went off to the shop to do it um, versus um, the actual what I get in terms of content. So I guess really sort of coming back to it is to think about what are the physical um, benefits of you taking in the food? We're going to look at social, as I said, and emotional in due course. And if there is some real benefit or real value in that, then that needs some uh, separate exploration. But are there some meals that you could kind of categorize as, well, that's just a functional meal, let's say. That's functional. It's not really satisfying that social or emotional side. I do it because I've always done it. And to be fair, 
um, say breakfast for, for argument's sake. If I skipped it, I am going to miss it because it's such an ingrained habit. But maybe I can change and play with it. Maybe I could reduce this and add a little bit more of that in protein-wise and just overall reduce the calorie density of it and just play around with that. Snacking is another area because sometimes we do snacking at particular 11 o'clock snack, 3 o'clock snack, whatever times it is, it's just something that happens. And again, that might be something that you could eliminate with a simple rule of a no snacking rule. But for many of us, that doesn't quite work and it needs a little bit more uh, nuance or some, some thought. And for some of my clients, what can be useful there is to think about well, what is it I do at those times? What leads to that? Is it an energy slump? If it is, then perhaps doing something different, like moving about, can build that, bring that energy back, or replacing or alternating what I have, or having what I call strategic snacks in in the back pocket ready, kind of something that you know is your go-to. That if you don't leave it till you're ravenous or really hungry, you can have it's it hits the spot. It might be something like I say, a bit healthier, a bit more protein in there. Um, fibres, vegetables, whatever, something that's really valuable to you that can really satisfy that 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 um, that routine and ritual of the snacking habit. So I call that strategic snacking. So overall, I guess really what I'm getting at here is, in terms of the physical, is to recognise we must respect the basic needs of our body in terms of its energy and repair. And the more active we are, the more movement, the more demands we have to deal with the day, we need to recognise we're going to need a we're going to need to honor that too because we don't want to be totally drained in energy a because it's not going to be great for us uh, physically but b because it can always lead to that snapback where your body will downgrade your your motivation to do anything and upgrade your desire to have more food and more of probably the unhealthier stuff so we need to respect that so then how do we create that gap that sustainable gap and this is where looking at the physical side from a perspective of why do i eat and what am I eating this for? And how can I make changes if it's not because it's a social event or something to do with the emotional side of things, which, as I said, I'll come on to. Where can I look at that from opportunities? Asking the question, am I thirsty or am I hungry is a useful one. When was the last time I've eaten? And what could I have instead that is perhaps a strategic snack that could help me through this as opposed to leaving it till I snap and really binge and end up having three packets of crisps when, you know, a, a couple of crackers and I don't, this is probably not the most pleasant thing, but I like to get some rye vita with some sardines and I really like it. Don't don't judge me. Um, but I really like that versus perhaps some something else if I leave it too long. And then looking at your meals and thinking, right, what can I do with those meals? Can I delay that? Can I change it? Can I skip or eliminate? Again, you've got to be careful about the elasticity of your, you know, your flexibility around that. Because if you snap back and then overcompensate with food, it's not going to work. And perhaps looking at your lunchtime meal or evening meal and looking at what you can do to just reduce the volume there in terms of the calorie deficit, increase the volume of the food in terms of its uh, fibrous nature volume but manage the calories and the energy level down. Looking for opportunities around that and looking at it from the basis of, actually, is this serving um, a functional purpose or is it serving something else? So an evening meal, if it's with family, there's gonna be a social element to it. We need to respect that because that's really powerful and important in our life. We're social creatures. But perhaps if it's something you just do on the on the hoof, it's a, more of a functional meal. It's something that's functional and therefore, perhaps you've got more room to play with it.
So anyway, some food for thought. I hope that makes some sense and gets you thinking around that. Give me some uh, some of your questions or thoughts on what I've said. Any challenges or any, any suggestions or ideas or what's come up for you in relation to that. What you could do differently. And check out my other episodes as well. I'll, I'll put the links into the four levers of weight management because I think that's a useful way to look at how can we create that deficit by looking at things like time restriction, calorie counting, um, dietary restriction and our activity and exercise and again not pulling on those leaves extreme in the extreme but pulling the um, pulling them like a bit like a graphic equalizer so that it's something that gives us a nice right balance for us let me know your thoughts at dave at restlessmidlife.com and next week what i'm going to do is i'm moving to the social element side and sort of explore that bit which i've already touched on a little bit here um, but again hopefully that's useful for you now take care and catch you next week Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North VA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.